Friends, I'm Maria Peña, here with another episode of Voices for Change, where each week I will introduce you to people that are doing their part to enrich and empower the Hispanic community. Later on, I'll tell you how you can help make our podcast better, because it is, after all, a program meant to inspire everyone who wants to contribute to change in their communities. Detention centers run by Immigration and Customs Enforcement have previously been accused of medical neglect, abuse, and unsafe confinement conditions, especially in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic. Now, a whistleblower complaint filed by advocacy groups on behalf of nurse Don Wooden alleges that hysterectomies and other medical procedures were performed on migrant women at an ICE detention center in Georgia without their full knowledge or consent. The Department of Homeland Security and the Office of the Inspector General are investigating, while several Democratic lawmakers, including Sheila Jackson Lee of Texas, are demanding a full congressional investigation. Today, we'll take a look at the implications of this whistleblower complaint and what Congress needs to do next, while also exploring the history of forced sterilizations in our country that were allowed in dozens of states until those laws were repealed. We have with us Jamil Fields-Altsbrook. She is the Director of Women's Health and Rights at the Center for the American Progress. And so thank you for joining us this morning. Thank you for having me. So, Jamil, let's start off talking about the, the bombshell um, revelation last week that, um, according to a whistleblower complaint, a uh, migrant woman at a particular ICE detention center in Georgia have been subjected to um, unconsented medical procedures, including um, massive hysterectomies. Um, tell us how significant that whistleblower um, complaint is. It's very significant, and you know, um, has to go off to the woman, uh, the nurse, just never gone, who who stood up and, and spoke out. And I think it's, things are still under investigation, of course. But if the allegations are true, we're we're talking about a complete violation of uh, human rights. So for those who might not have seen um, the complaint details. Um, some horrific instances and there's been other reports of horrific instances of women either being coerced uh to get a hysterectomy so pushed to get, get a hysterectomy or sterilized without them knowing what was happening to them or some received information but they didn't understand it so you know it's not informed consent if you give someone information not in a language they can understand or there were other complaints of some women saying they were going to get um they thought they were getting something to deal with heavy bleeding or another woman said uh, related to she had a cyst um so you know these are all sort of heinous allegations that i think many might be surprised um still happens today and and a complete violation of, of these women's bodily autonomy mm -hmm. and the nurse in question was dan wooden of course um she brought forth the uh, complaint with the help of of different um, advocacy groups including project south and what they're saying is that this is all the more reason why uh that that particular ice detention center which is run by a private company should be shut down is that what it's going to take to stop these um, um, horrific stories from coming out, or or do you think Congress needs to step in? 
I mean, I think we could do both, right? You know, so if if it is true uh, that uh, these allegations are true, then whoever, the people who have been making them happen are, should be held accountable for sure. And uh, it seems if this pervasive pattern, not just with the hysterectomies, but also unsafe practices around COVID and, and other things uh, prove to be true, um, then centers like this and others should not still be open um as and also congress can step in and take action to make sure that there are safe uh facilities that people are 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 in and so there's a a, um, a bill uh in in congress called the dignity for detained immigrants act of 2019 and pieces of legislation like that uh, should definitely be put in place but we also need to make sure that both whether for detained people and non-detained people congress can step in and make sure that people aren't being coerced about their uh reproductive health decisions mm-hmm. and that um, many might be surprised to know you know, we have a history of that in this country, mm-hmm. um, but it's not just a foreign history. It, it happens to incarcerated people. It has happened to people with disabilities. Um, and now, uh, it, it, this is true happening among the immigrant population. Mm-hmm. So, and, you know, this is certainly concerning. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, for instance, one particular woman that, that whose case came forth last week was um, Pauline uh, Benham. Uh, I believe I'm pronouncing it right. Um, she's a Cameroonian immigrant who came as a child. And for mm-hmm. reasons that remain um, unexplained, I guess, um, she ran into problems with the law and was detained by ICE and, and sent to mm-hmm. the uh, detention center in, in Georgia. Um, she says through her activists, you know, through her lawyer and, and advocacy groups that she thought she was going in for a simple DNC because she had been having some, mm-hmm. um, you know, OBGYN problems. And then mm-hmm. she was unaware that they had removed one of her fallopian tubes, yeah. which obviously, mm-hmm. you know, um, it, it will basically just make it impossible for her to have more children, you know, naturally. Yeah. And what's alarming, Jamil, is that now we're now we, you know, we know from reports, you know, media reports, that the doctor in question was possibly not even board certified. So oh. that just adds another layer of of complexity complexity to this um, potential scandal. Yeah, you know, that is so, it, it is so concerning, especially, you know, many of us when we go to providers and put our trust in these providers, right? Put trust to uh, take care of us. Then they have taken an oath to do no harm. And, the, you know, providers, if, if, that, if it proves to be true about this provider, uh, that provider should be held accountable and any other provider like that. We mm-hmm. know that it's a history of, um, the needs of black and brown women in this country uh, being ignored or coerced into making decisions. You know, the founding of gynecology was founded upon experimentation around enslaved on enslaved women's bodies. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have had a history of a uh, course of sterilizations in Puerto Rico. And um, there's still laws on the books that allow um, those who are deemed quote unquote unfit, uh, which we in the category of people with disabilities to be sterilized without their consent. And the last thing I'll just say is that I think sometimes people, um, I've seen a lot of the media reports, um, of, um, 
some people questioning sort of, well, they told the women or otherwise. And I think that people need to understand what informed consent means, right? Mm -hmm. You know, even if you, as I said, even if you give someone information, but you don't give them the full information, Mm -hmm. like you're talking about with this woman, um, if she didn't know the full information that she was going in for one thing and you do another, that's not informed consent uh, at all. Exactly. And you know, um, Jamil, what's, um, what's really, um, I, I, you know, the word escapes me, but what's really incredible about this is that she was literally hours away from being deported, you know, put in, mm-hmm. put on a, a deportation flight. And it took several congresswomen, including Sheila Jackson Lee, to step in and halt the deportation. This might be a large congressional investigation, and we needed uh, to make sure that Pauline who had been here, as you've said, since she was two years old, would not be deported. And my understanding is that on Friday, she was uh, released on humanitarian grounds. Um, Of course, that doesn't mean that ICE won't try this again. But at least for now, the happy news is that she'll get to be with her family. Her, Her daughter is turning 12 at the end of the month. The DHS steps in. Uh, they are now doing parallel investigations. So they have one going on by the Office of the Inspector General. And then there's a, a separate one going on uh, with DHS itself. But from mm-hmm. from your knowledge, do you think that DHS can be trusted to investigate itself? You know, I think that we definitely need some independence in the investigation Um and uh, this, and also because this isn't the first dimension about a history of coercion in this country. It's also not the first instance we've seen with ICE and reproductive coercion, particularly under the Trump administration. So there have been reports of uh, them tracking women's periods. There have been um, instances where the ACLU had to step in to help. There was a couple women seeking abortions that they were being denied their abortions. This is the under this administration, they've changed the presumptions around pregnant women not being detained. So I'm particularly concerned um, that this represents not just a one center, one isolated event. We know it's a pattern, right? Mm-hmm. We know that. And, 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 and what really concerns me is that for those who don't have someone like um, this whistleblower courageous enough to speak up, what what don't we know is happening in, in the other centers? Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think there does obviously need to be an investigation. Um, but there also needs to be some uh, in, in independence in this investigation. And, and, and to your last question, we need to go beyond investigation. There is a systemic problem that needs to be changed and needs to be addressed. And it should, we should stop ignoring it. Mm-hmm. And Jamil, you know, go back to the what you the point that you were making earlier about how there is a history of you know treating mm-hmm. or using science to uh, resolve um, social ills and and how a lot of those practices and laws have actually targeted the poor and minorities yeah. and marginalized people. Um, talk to us a little bit more about that and what lessons can be drawn from that so that those mistakes are not repeated. Yeah, for sure. You know, um, you know, I think that um, so people like to might think that it's a sort of a thing of a distant past that uh, like the experimentation upon black and brown bodies 
Um, and I sometimes I'll say, you know, it's not that things have stopped, it's that they've taken a different form. Mm-hmm. So it used to be laws on the books that uh, allowed for just sort of sterilization, period, and, and state-sponsored and state-permitting uh, uh, sterilization. Um, and a lot of that was among uh, those people who were, uh, quote-unquote, could be under government control, so mm-hmm. those who were incarcerated. Um, but also, you know, those who... Um, uh, there's been, a, you know, high-profile instances of uh, black and brown people being uh, experimented on or tested. Mm-hmm. And so, for instance, the Tuskegee experiment where there was uh, black black men were, weren't told they had syphilis and that there was a treatment mm-hmm. of that. And so those are history that I think some people might know. But that but that, that history has, has just taken some different forms. So, mm-hmm. you know, from like 2007 to 2011, uh, a car of women, women in some California prisons were being sterilized. That's not a, a distant, distant history. Yes. You know, sterilized without their consent. And then there are other things where we've seen policies put in place to try to encourage or push, excuse me, um, women to a certain reproductive health decision. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, for like low low income women, you know, instances of them saying we will give women um, uh, the long acting uh, reversible contraceptives, the IUDs, we'll insert it, um, pay for that, but we won't pay for mm-hmm. taking it out. You know, those kind of things are reproductive coercion. It might not look the same as sort of um, in the past, just, uh, you know, holding someone down and taking them to get a procedure. But it is um, changing changing their decision mm-hmm. and changing and not, not really allowing them a decision. Mm-hmm. Really. And, you know, Jamil, I was reading, you know, as I was preparing for this podcast, I was reading in a popular science magazine article that, um, you know, looking at the history of um, eugenics, um, that ultimately 32 states passed laws in the early 1900s that led yeah. to uh, between 60,000 and 70,000 people being made infertile. Um, yeah. And, and so while in this particular case with ICE, uh, there seems to be no evidence of a systemic, uh, you know, widespread um, use of um, forced um, sterilization, you know, these are just forced, you know, these are just allegations. Um, again, what ne- what can Congress do to, com- you know, to fulfill its oversight of federal agencies so that things like this don't happen anymore? I mean, you, you guys over at the Center for American Progress have documented a lot of abuses going on you know, yeah. a, a medical neglect, uh, mistreatment, and so forth. Yeah, so Congress, one, should be looking into, um, to make sure that this isn't a pattern, right? To make sure that um, that this isn't happening in other places. So there should be investigations, and they should be taken seriously in this facility, as well as take investigations to other facilities where we haven't seen reports about hysterectomies, but we have seen reports and concerns about, about other things. Mm-hmm. Um, and usually once an investigation starts, things come up. And as, as I mentioned, this Dignity for Detained Immigrants Act of uh, 2019, which also would, would provide some standards for facilities um, and, and, and custody of uh, DHS 
Um, and so, you know, we need some of those, those minimal standards to be set in place. Also, with COVID, um, there should be standards set in place about the proper procedures and practices. So we've seen that outbreaks in detention centers. We've seen them in among um, incarcerated people. And, you know, we, these are people who... Um, uh, we often sort of become our forgotten of our society that mm-hmm. they don't have the ability to social distance, you mm-hmm. know, they don't have the ability. And so there should be procedures and, and place to make sure that it's a safe environment mm-hmm. for, for that community. Mm-hmm. You know, these, these are people and we should, we should forget, forget about them. Exactly. And Jamil, on a more personal note, um, tell us about how you became involved in uh, women's health issues and women's rights. Yeah, yeah, you know, so I um, went to uh, law school and public health school and uh, committed myself to doing health equity work, uh, particularly for communities of color, particularly black and Latino communities and Native American people, because they're often the people who are most um, impacted and most sort of uh, the, uh, disadvantaged in a society by, by systemic problems. Um, and so I, I got into, once I got out of school, um, I did a number of fellowships, including one around reproductive justice, um, and uh, ended up working at Planned Parenthood Federation, and, mm-hmm. and now I'm here director of Women's Health and Rights at CAP. But it's definitely a personal thing, thing for me. I'm a, a girl, girl from the Midwest, and I've seen my family, and uh, you know, I was just talking to uh, you know friends being who who, uh, who have experiences of being you know coerced in a, in a different sort of way, mm-hmm. of you know talking to their provider and their provider telling them, um, well, you know, you you need to keep that birth control because I mean do you want to you want a, a baby and you know those sorts of things where mm-hmm. sometimes um, uh, uh, black and Latino communities aren't trusted to make our own health care decisions. And in your line of work is there a particular anecdote that stands out that you thought you know I made the right decision by pursuing this line of work because things are just so horrific and people people you know, feel hopeless? Is there one that stands out? Oh, that's such a good question. Um, you know, uh, I'll give the one sort of an uh, kind of said or obvious, obvious one. When I was working at Planned Parenthood, I uh, was heading the portfolio around the Affordable Care Act. And it was also during a time where the Affordable Care Act was getting, they were trying to repeal the law and 20 million people would have lost their coverage. And they also were trying to defund Planned Parenthood. And, you know, working there and, you know, I interacted with the health centers a lot and could see where these women and people and gender non-binary people and people in rural areas would have lost their health care access completely if this could have happened. And so, you know, there were a lot of long days, long nights fighting and trying to uplift the issue. In the end, obviously, the law wasn't repealed and uh, my parents had got to keep its funding. And it was, it was moments like that where I was like, okay, it's actually, you know, it's worth, worth the stress that sometimes it causes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And a final note, Jamil, we try to end on a positive note or, or, or give our listeners, um, you know, a sense of hope. What would you what would be your message when people look at all the things that that are happening in this country in this year? Uh, what is your message to them uh, to make change happen in their communities? You know, I think um it's such a it's such a 
weary some time right now and sometimes we can feel um like we don't have power and we don't have a voice and we can't do anything. What can I do about, you know, mishappenings and detention centers? What can I do about Supreme Court vacancies and my, my family's future? What can I do about climate change? And I think one is vote. <laughs> I mm-hmm. think it's such a simple thing, but uh, it, it means everything right now. Um, and two, not just that, but also once we, you get people in office, whether you voted for them or not, hold them accountable because they are accountable to you. And I think that we we see what happens when people aren't held accountable. We see um, sort of what the sort of mess, for lack of a better word, word uh, we've been in for the last four years. And so it's time for us to take back that power and time for us to do something to, to make a change for ourselves and our families and our communities. Well, never better said, Jamil. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Well, friends, that's it for today's episode of Voices for Change. Thank you for tuning in. We hope to continue bringing you inspirational stories like the one you just heard. We thank you for your ideas, suggestions, and comments. So just look us up on social media. Or send us an email at VocesForChange at gmail.com. Remember Gandhi's great advice. Be the change you wish to see in the world. Until next time...